0: Today's program is brought to you by Regional Access. Regional Access is a regional distributor committed to creating sustainable economies throughout the Northeast. For more information, visit regionalaccess.net. On behalf of our family of hosts, staff, and the millions of listeners who have tuned in since 2009, we want to wish you happy holidays and ask for your support as we launch our daily in-house news coverage. Please consider making us a part of your end-of-year giving in 2013. Your membership donation is tax-deductible and the best way to show you believe in our work and the importance of a free, food-focused media resource. Consider donating today at heritageradionetwork.org by clicking the Donate button. Thanks for your support, and enjoy the show.
1: cooking issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Roberta's Pizzeria in the back of, well, no, at Roberta's Pizzeria. I'm in the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on a very snowy, snowy day here in New York, joined uh, uh, with Joe in the booth. Hey, Joe, how you doing?
2: I'm doing okay. How's it going, Dave?
1: I'm doing all right. Nastasha, the Hammer Lopez, not here yet because, uh, well, Joe, is there a polite way of saying what the the name of that website is where you can check on the L-train?
2: Um, is the l train dot
1: yeah. Oh, there you go. Is the l train com? If you go to that website, you'll find that Yes, in fact it is, which is the train she takes. For those of you that have never been to the New York area and taken our lovely subways, uh, the F train travels between kind of the hipster portions of Brooklyn and uh, 14th Street in Manhattan, and that's what – it's often F'd, right, Joe?
2: It is pretty often F'd. It's highly trafficked, but there's only one line, so it gets pretty F'd.
1: Yeah, it gets effed up in the in the, in the snow. Although, why would it get messed up in the snow? It's all underground. What the hell?
2: Yeah, it's underground until you get to, like, East New York, so...
1: Oh, that's I, where it got messed up? I,
2: I, I can only assume.
1: Hey, look, I took an above-ground train to get here, and ain't no problems on the J line.
2: The J is the most reliable train in New York, apparently.
1: Wow. Joe, yeah. you're just a font of knowledge. Uh,
2: uh, MTA knowledge. They... Uh, uh, if they want to start putting me on the payroll, you know. You should could. get
1: together with my son Booker. He, you know, he's a, a, a similar font of knowledge on MTL, although very opinionated. Man, he, uh, kid, he hates the That's J. great. He, he hates the I don't know why he hates the day. He takes particular dislikes of certain trains based on uh, the actual motors, the actual manufacturer of the motors used to propel them. He can tell by the sound of a subway car. He's like, that's Alston propulsion in that. And he's like, I don't like that one so much. It's and he's no like, good. that's it, you know. And it's like a sign of the cross. It's over. It's done. Uh, so while we're waiting for uh, Nastasia to show up and see how her day has been going, uh, we got uh, some uh, folks here. We're doing a, a a well. Why don't you why don't you go go, go around the room here and we'll will ever introduce themselves and t- tell them what we're doing today.
3: Hi everybody. Um, I'm Lara and I have an app called Days, which allows you to share a day's worth of photos and gifts at a time. It's a visual diary.
1: N- not dazed like dazed and confused. Like mm. days like days of our lives like
3: days of the week days of our lives yeah so this is a project called days in the life in which um i follow around and photograph a creative visionary like yourself dave <laughs> for a day of their life just a normal tuesday and then we share that out with everyone you'll be able to see a day in dave's life nice yeah,
1: yeah. becky you want to introduce yourself here
3: uh, I'm Rebecca I work with Dave and Nastasia
1: uh, over at Momofuku and Booker and Dax so just hanging out for the day nice <laughs> you, you can't come in hey Stas hello L train messed up huh and the,
3: no
4: A C E messed up really yeah
1: oh, that's weird Yeah. alright so Nastasia's here and we're ready to begin in earnest. it's calling your questions to 718 that's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight for all your cooking or non-related cooking questions and we're we, next Tuesday is what hey Stas you can climb over me uh, Christmas Eve right ooh are we in town? No, I'm not. Are you? Well, <laughs> uh, in all fairness, I told her to do it. So uh, the question is, is is this our last show before uh, yeah. The Christmas? Yeah. So we're not going to do the Christmas Eve show? That's you going to do it by yourself. Wow.
2: I don't think you can, Dave. Oh, we're shut down? We're shut down. All this, right. So this, pulling the plug. This
1: is the show. This yeah. is the Christmas Eve show. This is the Christmas, all right, is the Christmas show. All right. So, uh... And Merry you, you, Christmas. It, Merry Christmas. And that means this is our last opportunity on the Cooking Issue show to, uh, to plug the Searsall. Searsall. Go to kickstarter.com. Search Searsall, And for $65, you too can be one of the first people to own this magnificent handheld broiler that we're making. Right, Sus? So, so how's mm-hmm. that going? Good. We're going to send out the uh, holiday cards, right? And what's it going to say?
4: Searsons greetings. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's how Piper is. And for, for those of you that are tuned in before, you know that Piper – Christensen, king of puns, uh, has done the holiday card uh, verbiage. Not the not the art, but the verbiage. Mm-hmm. And it's Searsen's Greetings. And we're mailing those out when? Today? Tomorrow? Tomorrow morning, yeah. That's oh, sweet. All right. So, two-some questions. Uh, from uh, Brad Spahn, we got in on the Twitter. Uh, recommendations for a first low-temperature book. Books that have some veg recipes especially are appreciated. For ours is a mixed household. It's tough. I mean, um, there's really only... In published book land, that's you know dedicated. There's a, I mean, the only one I can really think of is the Under Pressure, the um, the one that was put out by Keller and Ruhlman, and there's a, some good veg recipes in there. But you know, modernist cuisine, uh, I'm sure their At Home one has some. But that's kind of a more of a hefty tome. Uh, look, the recipes are going to be fine in the, in the under pressure thing. I disagree with, uh, some of their points specifically with some of their safety standpoints, but there's a lot of stuff online uh, as well. And it's just ever increasing the amount of, uh, amount of stuff. You guys seen any newer low temperature? Uh by the way, the reason that everyone, Rebecca was like, I don't want to introduce myself. I am like, everyone who's in the studio, boom, like you're here. I'm going to call you out. So you <laughs> guys, do you guys know any like uh, good, we haven't done like this lucky peach done anything on that?
0: Um, it's just as it comes, right?
1: Yeah. Like most of the stuff that you know, I work with, is kind of as it comes, not specifically um, you know, low temp or not. I'm trying to think of another one. There's – I mean first book. So I'm assuming you don't want to spend like $158. Like you know, the one, Roca one is still a classic which came out, although Bruno Gousseau, the kind of grandfather of uh, low – temp, one of the grandfathers of low temp cooking, detests that book because he says the temperatures are too low. In fact, he says that, it, that it's a book that attempts to poison people. Uh, it's a great chef's book, but I would get the under pressure. Um, you know, I have, to, do the ideas in food book have a lot of low temp in it? I don't know. I don't know. And you know what? And go to chefsteps.com where they can put a lot of content online. It's not in the form of a cookbook, but they have a lot of content online uh, for you to check out. That's, uh, put out by, uh, our good friends like Michael Mackin, Chris Young, and, uh, who else is on that one? Grant, right? Anyway. Um, and obviously chefs who use a lot of low temperature work like Grant and stuff, I'm, you know, I'm sure have a lot of stuff in their books on it. Anyway, sorry, I could not be of more help. Is that not very? I feel like I wasn't very helpful. Yeah, like Styles like I don't care. I don't give a, I don't give a rat's ass. That's okay. Uh, also, we got in. Uh, do you remember those? Uh, you remember those? Um, uh, those uh, Cocktail University things we did? Those videos yeah. we did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Delete uh, Rao, uh, Leapers five hundred wrote in and says the saxophone during the Cocktail University segment sounds like Michelle Pfeiffer and Sean Connery stopped off for a drink in the Russia House. Be like, I mean, like I. That's good, I guess, right? I mean, like, I wouldn't mind if Sean Connery and Michelle Pfeiffer came and stopped by. I would make them a drink. That's great. I want to be there. Yeah, I like those guys. I mean, I don't really... I don't know them. I like the theory of them. Yet. Yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never met... I mean, like, Sean Connery kind of like...
4: Can we find that? Can you find that, Joe? The saxophone and the... Whatever one?
2: Yeah. Well, I'll do a little searching that. around. Okay.
1: Joe, speaking of, uh, I didn't bring it up before because you know, I was waiting for stars, so I was a little pre, you know, uh, preoccupied. But what's up with Jack and the porn music? You're trying to get people to donate money for mm-hmm. the holiday seasons to the Heritage Radio Network using fundamentally porn music.
2: Well, sometimes you have to appeal to not people's like hearts and minds but to you know their senses in, in other ways if you really want them to give you what they want, right?
1: Yeah, but I mean like – It's marketing. I mean like – yeah. Okay. So, like, it's a known thing. Like, we're going to like use, uh, we're going to use seventy style porn music.
2: No, I think it's just that's that's Jack's personal taste. <laughs> um, it, 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 there was really no marketing scheme here. Um, but I will pass the review along to Jack.
1: I, I, I'm not saying it in a negative way, by the way. Can, can, oh can, no. Can we play it again real quick? Because Stars didn't get to hear it. Can we play the? Okay. Yeah. Uh, let me boot that up. Yeah. Let's play, well, like, it'll just come on in, in, in a minute here.
0: Well, no, he's going to... On behalf of our family of hosts, staff, and the millions of listeners who have tuned in since 2009, we want to... It's wish got a little bit more of a holidays. hip-hop vibe. Well, wait, wait no, wait, it gets more porny. As we launch our porny. daily in-house news coverage. It's Please more. consider making us a part of your end-of-year so you giving You know what it, sounds giving like it sounds
1: like? the intro to a Barry White song. Your Maybe that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like an actual Barry White that's song, but like the intro to a Barry White song. Something you would Yeah, it's going to go in to slow your roll after that or something like that. Yeah. we I should play that saxophone.
2: yeah jack should have recorded that with all of his vocals pitched down so he yeah. sounds like barry white that oh my god
1: great. holy crap can we do that
2: then we would have had the money rolling
1: in. oh my god we well if phil bravo <laughs> if I he would ever come camera. in here and do it like he could do the barry white voice a little oh, goofier yeah. than barry white yeah <laughs> no, barry white rest in peace with your magnificent voice okay um so uh you know did a, a presentation at the Food & Wine uh, thing for all of Annex Publishing. So we'll talk about it a little bit, right? Because it's kind of interesting. So uh, if, for those of you that, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know, have heard me spiel about this before – uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about um, cocktails that other people don't spend a lot of time necessarily thinking about or didn't. Gin and tonic. Apparently, everyone's thinking about gin and tonics quite a lot now. Like it's a huge, huge thing. But I've been working fairly consistently on the gin and tonic for you know almost a decade now. Uh, and actually, it figures in the co- like the last chapter of the cocktail book is all just gin and tonic and kind of you know like full riff on the gin and tonic. And what's that? That's actual people. That's actual children laughing. I thought that was like some sort of special effect that, oh. uh, that uh, they were playing. Anyway, so uh, the concept is what do you do after you do the normal uh, gin and tonic? And, the, and the, my new idea, and this is what we were presenting at Food & Wine, is to make a gin and tonic that doesn't have uh, tonic in it. Right, it just hits the same flavor notes as a gin and tonic. So, uh, and in fact, we made one that doesn't even have gin in it, but it tastes kind of like a gin and tonic with a little bit of a more of a holiday note, a little peppery note. Stas hates it because she hates junipery flavors, and then this has a definite juniper flavor in it. So, uh, so what are the notes we have to hit? You have to get the resiny pine from the juniper and the gin, plus you know some other botanicals that are in it. You need uh, uh, acidity. You need uh, bitterness. Right, I add a little salt, uh, and so, and you need sugar, right, for the time. So we have almost all that we in one ingredient. Shisandra, which is the five-flavor berry. Oh, they also make omiji tea out of it in Korea, so it's Korean, Chinese, uh, and also to a certain extent uh, Rus- Russian, where they call it limonique, limonique, or something like that. Say it with a crazy no. accent. Come on, no. Stas. Well, no. Why do you never, you never hook me up with the accent? Because
4: <laughs> I can't do it. What do you, you mean? Don't. I've heard you do it a million uh, times. No, I've never Stas, done it. Stas, Stas I Stas is never half done Russian. It. I have never
1: done uh, it. Uh, uh, oh yeah? <laughs> yeah. How does your mom? How does your mom? Oh,
4: I'm not going to say anything.
1: All right. So, so you're lying to me. Wait. Here's uh, the sex. God. Oh yeah! Hey, I'm Dave Arnold from Booker. And Dax. <laughs> you are uh, Dave Arnold, aren't you? I am Dave Arnold from Booker and Dax. All right, uh, but like, I feel like if I'd known they were gonna play that, I wouldn't have gone to such like a high pitched squeal going in. Yeah. I would have, I would have started, you know, you yeah. know, I would have started uh, a little lower. They're like, "Hi, I'm Dave Arnold." And Dax. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, so we use this uh, Cassandra sch- 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 Berry. Which uh you can, you you have to order it you order it online, we got it on Amazon and it's kinda of fresher if you like the local spice shops sell it, it's really desiccated, it's hard to get good flavor out of it. But it has all of those notes. It is itself sour, and they call it five flavor berry because it has you know, it's is a little bit salty, it's pungent, it's uh it's aromatic. I mean they they it's got, it's got all of those flavors in it. So what we did is we – it's the easiest drink in the world to make. We blended a small amount of schizandra berry with vodka because it brings its own gin flavors to it. Uh, then to augment the acidity and tone down the, uh, the kind of juniper notes on it, we also uh, made some straight in water and then combined those two. Um, to produce this Cassandra, so we didn't add any acid, we didn't add any gin, we didn't add any quinine for bitterness. It was all right there, in, you know, in that one thing. We did have to add a little sugar, and then we carbonated. It's also a cool, kind of pink color. You like the color anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a good color. I mean, if you liked gin, you think you would have liked it? Yeah, yeah. But it's like gin. The only thing it's not in a normal gin and tonic that is here is it's a little more Christmassy because it's got a little more of a of a of a pine note to it, even though it's not a pine tree. Uh, it's not a conifer at all schizandra it's uh it's a uh, although it is very early to, it's, a, it's from a basal angiosperm line so it's closer to the, whatever anyway uh, but uh, it uh, yeah yeah it's pretty good so anyway schizandra that's what we were doing this week right is that pretty much all we did that's interesting other than work on the Searsol, Searsol, Searsol.
4: yeah I think so
1: yeah yeah alright
4: right. wasn't making a santa
1: Oh, Jesus. So Stas and Piper have a side business going on uh, with vomiting wine zombies, right? So, uh, I bu- did you buy winezombie.com yet?
4: It's taken. It's an actual wine company.
1: Called Wine Zombie? Mm-hmm. Did you buy pukingsanta.com? Mm-mm. So, the wine zombie sits there and vomits, and for two years, is all Stas and Piper. Literally, like, you think they're sitting around thinking about cooking a year. problems? No, it's like every day. It's a zombie, zombie, zombie. It's like I know that, like you know how, like, like, like in some people's head, like there's like a like a one. When I of the first car, the first car I ever bought was a was a '76 Pontiac Bonneville, right? And uh, a James Brown tape got stuck in the tape deck because it's back in the tape deck days, you know, in the '90s. And it was just James Brown all the time. So whenever I was driving, all I would listen to was James Brown constantly. And I feel that you and Piper, your mind is like that, but instead of James Brown, it's wine zombie. You're like wine it's zombie, what
5: the people wine
1: want, zombie. what the people want. The people are you and, 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 and Piper. <laughs>
4: people love the I wine zombie. I want Zom- one too. Thank
1: you. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. So the wine zombie is a zombie mask with a pump in it that pukes wine uh, on a, you know, continually, like uh, continuously like pukes fountain. wine like a fountain. And it's just sitting there like, you know, puking. And so then t- this year, for, they're like, you know, the problem is the wine zombie is really only a, it's a Halloween thing. How do we stretch this? How do we stretch the wine zombie? How do we do it? How do we make some more money off this off – this, the best idea we ever had, the wine zombie? And here's how. You buy a five-foot – by the way, five-foot Santas are creepy. Let me just tell you something. Five-foot Santa is creepy. You buy a five-foot Santa – what is that? Puppet? What is, what is that thing? It's like a like, –
4: It's a Matronic. Sa-
1: oh, so strong. <laughs> Santa Matronic. Oh, so strong. Oh, my god. Did you make that up or did you say that in the box? <laughs>
4: Favorite, favorite.
1: Oh my god! Such strength, such strength of punning. Uh, so you buy this thing, and then you stick the same pump that you have in the wine zombie into the Santa, and you have Santa puking, and then you get your friend Phil Bravo to be like, ho, ho, with the little with the little voice box. It's in Santa, yeah. right?" The problem is is that they're not really willing to take it far enough. So Santa is standing upright and the pump, he dribbles like wine all over his beard, which is freaking gross. No one wants to – and so instead of – and I want your two feedback on this. Instead of doing like the right thing, the honorable thing and make Santa bend over while he's puking so that the poor guy cannot spill the stuff all over his beard. And By the way, puke on beard is nasty. I don't want no one wants to drink that stuff. They're having it come out of his pipe, and it's like if it comes out of his pipe. First of all, I don't really know that it's ethical to have a smoking Santa anymore, like at all. Like, but like, secondly, like you know, if you're if if it's coming out of his pipe, it's not puke. Nobody pukes out of their pipe. Nobody pukes out of their it's pipe. A small, and, little, they're like, it's and they're like, and they're like, what? And they're like, what about Popeye? I'm like, when was the last time you saw Popeye puke at all?
4: I already gave the party that we're giving it to the circumference of Santa, so he can't.
1: No, you bend yeah. his legs Does it back.
4: Just leak out you of the pop a No, it like. It's, yeah, it's, it's like it's a like fountain. fountain. Yeah.
1: No yeah. one's going to understand the puking. They're going to be oh, Santa is Santa fountain. It's
3: and, not like a projectile situation,
1: though. It's like, no. You know, no, no. No, 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 no. But my point, is, my point is, is that. No, look, look, look. If you just had a Santa with it's the pipe. It's going water, whoa, 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 actually. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not, not going to be Yeah, you're a liar, liar. It is. Water.
4: Yeah,
3: they have their own. Whatever.
1: You mean water based. You mean non alcoholic.
3: Or water. Non alcoholic. Yeah. Or water. Can you drink the fake. Vomit? Yeah, yeah, it's all food grade. So you could just put like a bunch of glasses near there. Yeah, that's the way that they did it with the wine zombie.
1: Class, yeah, that's the way they did with the wine zombie. Like imagine a chocolate fountain but right. instead of puking zombie or in this case Santa. But I'm saying you just bend his butt back, tilt him forward so he pukes down into the bowl <laughs> so there's no beard hit. Because if you, if you see a pipe, if you see liquid coming out of your pipe, your first thought isn't puke. But then you have Phil Bravo's voice making puking noises and anybody right. that's ever the puked voice. knows that the pipe is popping out of the mouth. No, Not even Popeye is keeping the pipe in his mouth. As he's puking. How do you clench your teeth around a pipe and keep the pipe in your mouth while you're blowing chunks out?
3: I think you should have done some research during SantaCon. You could Oof. have really, like, oh, found some true. good models. Oh, hell yeah. Off <laughs> of. Yeah, true. yeah.
1: You know what? Uh, and this is a thing. I mean, no offense to the SantaCon people, but, you know, I have two kids, and, like, one of them is still a believer.
4: I'm going to have...
1: You know what I mean? And it's not cool to have Santa puking on the I'm ground. I'm have
4: Piper send a video of what it looks like. It's not even a pipe.
1: It's not even a... What is it?
4: I'll send it's the strong. video. We'll watch it at lunch. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. all right all right so anyway you can call in or tweet in with your thoughts on puking santa but phil's bravo phil bravo's voice is quite good it's quite good maybe can you just can you call in and do the voice
4: yeah let's see if we can let's
1: call, okay. call in and do the voice all right cool now we have uh, an actual normal question in uh, from m uh, dear cooking issues i am a lover of most all foods i am a size 12 plus model so eating is really a part of my job because of health reasons i've really had to cut out a ton of foods I get really bad heartburn, which has been tearing up the lining of my esophagus. Uh, I need to uh, basically cut out all spicy, citric, high-fat, and carbonated food and beverages out of my diet. Rough. That's rough, right? That's, that, so she says the, the, the worst things are any kind of pepper, which I recently just grown to love using, chocolate, that sucks to give that up, citric fruits, uh, or basically any fruits other than apples. Although, why not apples? Apples are, can be highly acidic. Well, we'll get into this in a minute. Acidic vegetables such as tomatoes, onions, etc., High fat meats. I've been eating a lot of wild salmon. Although wild salmon are very high in fat. It, it's interesting. I've, I've done some research and uh, chicken breast. I mean, that's why, wild, that's, why salmon, that's why people like salmon. Like salmon in general is a high fat fish. You can get leaner cuts of salmon, but usually the more money you spend on salmon, the higher the fat uh, content is. That's why people like the, like a lot of the cold water salmons that are caught in the you know in the rivers up there in Alaska and Canada and all that because they're fairly high fat. Um, and in fact, like you, you can literally just look at the price range of salmon's wild caught salmon's and they correlate with Either with marketing like copper uh, whatever, but, but a lot of times it will correlate with fat content. Anyways, um, and you know, look at smoked salmon. That's some fatty stuff and I'm saying this in a great way. It's a good way. Fat, you know, good product. I like fat a lot. Anyway, uh, spices like curry or anything that is intense in flavor. Uh, I now eat a lot of easy-to-process grains like couscous and quinoa and brown rice. Quinoa, like uh, I still can't wrap my head around the word quinoa. Did, did anyone else have a problem with it's that? It's impossible to spell. Yeah, right. Virtually impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's not just me. Mm-mm. If uh, you go on YouTube, they, they
3: do uh, these pronunciation videos, and they do one for quinoa, and they call it Kanoka which is my Kanoka I, I, they like just that. Pronounce I Everything wrong. On. I tell you, if you called <laughs>
1: okay. it Kanoka like that's like that sounds like some sort of like awesome Samoan thing. Right? Kanoka Noa, or like or like Manalo macadamia nuts. macadamia nut. I love that I uh, mean that's I don't really know what the accent is over there. But like <laughs> but like mono monolai is like an awesome word. So coconut. cooking I say it again? Coconut. Kinocanoa. That's so much better than Kokomo. Remember that crappy Beach Boys song? Yeah. Stash? It'd be a lot
3: harder to pronounce if it was Kinocanoa within the Kokomo song.
1: Yeah. Conoconoa. <laughs> right? Stars once hung out with the Beach Boys lawyers at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she was at. Uh, she was at in you know, Nathan Mirvold's lab uh, for the modernist because one of the modernist cuisine dinners with Mark Ladner, and they were sitting next to the lawyer for the Beach Boys. Apparently, like they they aren't like happy go lucky fellows. Right, well?
4: we were also sitting next to the more interesting, a Google founder who <laughs> cheated <laughs> on his that? wife with a small
1: Asian woman who worked with him. I feel that this is not maybe safe for. Well, it's, this hey, is now girl chat The, t- the, uh, <laughs> the uh, opinions of Nastasha are Nastasha's alone and do not represent cooking issues or the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, the, uh, so, but you said he was also wearing the
4: glasses. Yeah, for the first time, yeah.
1: It was early. It was like a couple of years ago. It was before anyone else had the glasses. Yeah, it was a prototype. And what was your thoughts on the glasses?
4: It was stupid. <laughs> uh,
1: that's, why <laughs> that that's why we call her the hammer. That's why we call her the hammer. So, it's like, well, better or worse than a Segway?
3: oh way better know. better yeah I don't know I love a good Segway <laughs> I've never been on one but I love them do you like theory.
1: seeing the tours the Segway yeah. tours the people with hold it like the, the head Segway goes like this and all the other Segway stuff yeah.
3: I get irritated when I see people wearing Google glasses but not when I see people on a Segway you Ooh. ever seen you
1: ever seen someone double up
2: no, I feel like that would be the perfect combination.
3: I feel
1: like they do that at the Google office. Yeah, yeah. they Google How up they and segue up. Yeah, yeah. you know, at, Google, at the Google office, I did a demo at Google, and they have these kind of awesome Google colored bikes. And the idea is that no one's going to steal the Google colored bike. I was like, I want a Google colored bike, and like they like you can just bike around all over the campus there. The Google campus is in. I've never been to the one here in uh, in the New York, but the one um, in California is freaking amazing. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like it's like pre bust awesome, like volleyball courts and like food and everything. I've nuts. been
3: to the one here. Google's one of our in- investors. We love you, Google.
1: Yeah. yeah. How's the how's the campus here?
3: It's good. So I think you you should really go there. That some of like some of the best features I think are, are the food programs that they have there. Well, like they, they have want like any five demos. What? Yeah. they want any demos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean yeah. they have Over like here. five um what is it called? The like food carts and like trucks inside. They're parked inside of Google.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah I have a friend who works there and I'm trying to get invited to lunch. So
1: I've, I've eaten at the Google one in, uh, in, and I spoke to their head chef and uh, they, have an, they have a very interesting program. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. I mean, I mean, they should have interesting stuff. They got more money than God. Okay. Uh, anyway, back to M's question. I now eat a lot of easy to Okay. Uh, like couscous and quinoa and brown rice. I loved using Near East uh, boxes. For those of you that don't know, Near East is a brand of uh, like boxed um, Middle East Middle, Middle East grains. Grain, like couscous, brown rice. Pee
3: little loves. with little flavor, <laughs>
1: packets. flavor, flavor packets, and uh, and uh, I loved using them, but they have a lot of garlic and citric acid and fats. Now, uh, M, I we looked at some of the labels for the uh, for that, and then Phil. and we didn't have, uh, Joe, we got to call her. But let me let me finish at least the question before I go to the answer. Yeah, is, definitely. Is it, is it Phil? Um, I'm not sure. Right, let's find out if it's still. Okay, so uh, now I looked at the labels for these, and they don't like they didn't seem that high in uh, the ones I looked at didn't aren't high in citric acid. You got to remember. Also, and we'll get we'll get into pH in, in, a, in a minute. I'm also looking for an alternative cooking fat as opposed to olive oil. And we're all like, do you not like olive oil? If you don't like olive oil, if you don't want the flavor, I mean, just go with something that has a high smoke point, like uh, you know, um, like grapeseed or uh, you know, or. or canola uh, or something like that although I, I at home almost I gotta be honest I exclusively use olive oil I use olive oil and then I have uh, like real honest to god fry fat from my deep fr- fryer but I, I, I don't stock a lot of different oils except for flavoring oils you can keep a lot of different flavoring oils around you guys, what do you use to cook with, guys olive oil exclusively
4: mm, or butter mm-hmm. butter
1: butter <laughs> uh, I uh, uh, I want to buy it. can we get the website polyunsaturated a-hole <laughs> I want that Anyway, uh, I'm also looking for – Okay, I eat a lot of different beans because they're good for my heartburn, but I don't want to translate this all into gas, which I've never had a problem with before. So I'm looking for an alternative uh, for a non-meat protein uh, that has a uh, low pH. Presumably you mean low low acid, so high pH. Now let me tell you something. Also, if you increase the gas you have – I was doing some research on GERD gastroesophageal reflux uh, disease, and uh, apparently downstream gas can actually cause your esophagus uh, to open up a little bit, so you definitely don't want to add gassiness to the problem because it it might uh, potentially increase your symptoms. Anyway. My questions are: What kind of mild spices are there to flavor rice, grains, chicken, and fish? I, I use dill a lot, and turmeric and cumin. You know, dill is delicious. Nils Noren, uh, you know, my, my Swedish chef friend, he loves the dill because he's Swedish, and if you don't love dill, they, they put you on the top of the mountain and let you freeze to death. Uh, Wiley Dufresne hates the dill. Did you I know love that? It. No. That's a little secret that I probably shouldn't tell you. Wiley Dufresne does not like dill. You heard it here first, unless <laughs> you are Wiley. Uh, uh, also, I was heard of, uh Okay. Uh, Alternative cooking fats. Uh, the alternative cooking fats without being processed. Blah, blah blah. Okay, and good marinades for meat. Uh, and M hates soy sauce. How do you hate on soy sauce? How do you hate on soy sauce? What about miso? We were having this conversation before. If you hate soy sauce, does that mean you necessarily hate miso?
3: No, because I don't care for soy sauce particularly as a marinade. it works for me but like i don't use it in, when i eat sushi even and i like miso
1: right so miso makes an excellent marinade and curing device yeah. right you have miso and uh some other liquids preferably probably for you not too acidic uh liquids and um and uh and you know some sugar maybe in there to like counter the saltiness of it But miso might be a good thing. We'll we'll get into this in a second. I'm going to go through your question, and then I'll answer it after the caller. Uh, I like to keep natural and organic. I know that uh, a low-fat diet is going to make me lose weight but I need to retain my curves by eating good amount of mild food. I feel like I just haven't been eating enough because I don't know how to, uh, what to do to make it taste good uh, or eating and effing up my diet by getting too much fat on the plate because fat can increase the, the uh, symptoms of uh, uh, GERD, gastro, uh, gastroesophageal reflux. Help, M. All right, so we're going to get to the answers. And I love that someone's like, I can't eat enough anymore because I can't eat the foods that I want. This is like an interesting question. we never had a question like this before. But right now, caller, you're on the air. Boom. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Uh, this is-
6: Benzinger from Indianapolis how you doing? doing okay how about yourself? alright uh, I just got back on a uh, from a three month trip to the country of Lebanon oh
1: nice and
6: uh, and um, I ran into something that I was curious about they, they store this stuff in the fridge you know how like uh, garlic oil is not good because of botulism sure they have a spread called tum which is uh, the Arabic word for garlic and it's literally raw garlic oil salt, pepper and lemon juice why is that safe? Is it because of solids content or is it because of something else that I'm not sure of? Because they store it in the fridge for like weeks, two weeks.
1: Is it a puree? It is. Okay. So, and how much uh, salt and how much lemon juice?
6: Uh, salt to flavor lemon juice to turn it white. It, uh, it's, a, it's a yellowish color. You add, this, you add the lemon juice and it turns it a, a nice white color.
1: Right. So both so the...
6: Both the flavor.
1: But both the acidity and the salt are going to inhibit the botulism, Right. So, I mean, the, the issue with uh, with um, garlic oil specifically is – and is it heated or not heated?
6: It's not heated.
1: Right. So when you – garlic grows in the ground. So, you know, um, botulism is ubiquitous and uh, – meaning it, it's everywhere and it, it gets on the garlic and you can't kill botulism by normal heating. So, you know, the the idea that you – that you put garlic into oil like a whole clove or something and then maybe even heat the oil killing all the other competitive bacteria that are on the garlic uh, like lactic acid bacteria or things like this uh, and but not killing the spores for things like botulism and then you have it sealed from the air by the oil but it, locally the garlic is still has a fairly high water activity because the garlic cloves are entire or the pieces of garlic are entire and so you can have uh, botulism growth on the actual garlic like that's the issue, right? Okay. So, and, uh, if you were to um, add – if you were to make a puree with acidity and with salt, assuming the levels were high enough, you would um, be, you would be um, inhibiting the growth of botulism. Secondly, if you're not heating it, there are probably other bacteria like lactic acid bacteria that are good competitors against things like botulism causing uh, – did it taste uh, – did you notice any kind of lactic flavor? Was there any fermentation going on in it?
6: I, I didn't notice any, no. it's it, Because usually they make it fresh, but if there's any extra left over, they, they put it in the fridge. Right. Um,
1: and, and so botulism is going to grow very slowly in the fridge anyway, and if there are other bacteria present that haven't been killed by a pasteurization step, then they probably provide good um, competition for the for the botulism so that it doesn't grow, plus the salt and the uh, fact that it – and the lemon juice and the fact that it's been – raid so that the acidity and the salt are in uh, you know, close contact with all the water-bearing parts of the stuff because they're not going to be in the oil because they don't like to live with oil. So all of the lemon juice and all of the salt are going to be chilling out with the, with the garlic, which is the water phase stuff anyway. And so you probably get the maximum preservation from all three of those things, making it, you know, not, making it not kill you.
6: Right,
1: okay. Now, I don't know what the exact oh. levels are to have it not kill you, but like all of those things are, are very helpful. If you were going to make it at home, you could probably put pink salt in if you really want to make sure botulism is not going to grow.
6: Okay. Would that affect the flavor
5: quite a bit, though?
1: Pink or, salt? Or no. Yeah. No. I mean the, the flavor from uh, curing on pink salt is more a reaction, I think, with the meat. I don't think it's going to – I don't think it will affect it. But like you – I mean, it's it's. Uh, I'm always a little loath to give out recommendations that are safety recommendations without like actually researching the, the, the documents on it to make sure that I have the levels right. But um, you also got to remember, botulism grows really really slowly in the in the fridge. And right. it, is it use, is it is it like put on bread raw or is it or is it used in cooking?
5: It's put
6: on bread raw. I mean, I, this, it's a it's a really good product. I'll, I'll mix it into salad dressings and things like that if I have extra. But uh, usually what they do is they just put it on with, like, pickles and tomatoes and shawarma, uh and, and have sandwiches with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's also the reason oil and garlic is so bad it, it normally is because typically people won't use it quickly because it's not like a spread, you know what I mean? So it'll be sitting on the shelf for a long time. Right. That's okay, another so and, thing, yeah. So,
6: takes, uh, how long does it typically take for uh, garlic oil to become dangerous?
1: I don't know. I don't, I don't trust. Like there, there is some research out there and if you talk to the food safety experts, there they, they lead you to believe that the growth of botulism can be much faster than you think. So uh, if something is inherently unsafe, it's like I'll just use it fresh or, or not. You know what I mean? Because who wants to mess around with that? I mean the good thing about botulism… If there is a good thing about botulism, uh, is that uh, you know, is that you can destroy it with heat. So if you're using something that is possibly contaminated with botulism, but you heat it thoroughly, the uh, the toxin um, from uh, botulism is um, is heat labile, so it will break down. Um, Because typically the way people die is they'll eat a bunch of uh, home canned mushrooms, which are a low acid food. You know what I mean? Uh, right. You know they're not getting it from tomatoes or you know things like this that have a high acidity. So the acidity and the salt are really helping you out here. Okay, thanks a so lot, Dave. All right, good luck with the tomb. All right, thank you. All right. So uh, back to this. So uh, uh, M, look, good news for you. Good news for you on the carbonated beverage front. I looked up uh, an article called "The Effects of Carbonated and/or Caffeinated Beverages on Acid and Non-Acid Reflux and Symptomatic Perception Among Different Phenotypes of GERD" by Jose Remis, uh Troche and uh, Amira A Azamar Jacome. Uh, from when is this? From 2012. From Gastroenter- uh, Gastroenterology, uh, Volume 142, Issue 5. Uh, May 2012. So here's a here's an interesting thing. Uh, caffeine does, in fact, increase the amount of time that your esophagus spends at a pH below four. So it does increase uh, the damage that's going to happen to your esophagus based on that. But carbonation, although it does increase uh, your burping, and so you think that it's actually going to cause an increase in acid. Uh, in your esophagus, their research indicates that, in fact, it has no effect. So, unless you know that you are specifically have a problem with it, uh, and there's all different kinds of uh, of GERD, but uh, carbonation, you might not have to give it up. Which be I would be very thankful to not have to give up carbonation. And remember, like yes, it does form an acid. CO two is forms carbonic acid, but it's not very very acidic, right? Uh, then another thing on. Um, Another it's interesting article I was looking up the effects of dietary fat and calorie density on esophageal acid exposure and reflux symptoms from 2006. What's interesting is, uh, and you might not know this, uh, but when they're doing the research on it, um, it shows that. Increasing the fat content increases the symptoms that you feel, right? But they not the actual damage. The actual it's actual caloric density that is uh, determining uh, like how much uh, the actual uh, pH of your uh, of your of your esophagus is going to go down. Whereas your 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 mental symptomatic uh, perception of it is going to increase with fat, which I thought was really interesting. Of course, unfortunately, fat and cal and and calorie density go kind of uh hand in hand uh i also uh looked up um the issue with the capsaicin uh was i assume you meant spicy peppers not black pepper although i don't know uh and yeah that looks like that's going to be a problem i was hoping that i could get some data for you that shows that maybe you have a way out that you could eat some of these foods but other than carbonation i don't really have any good news there for you um on the so let's go backwards on your questions uh on the marinades for meats, I would try miso. Um, it's it's going to be good. The problem here really fundamentally is is that most marinades – it depends on why you're marinating a meat. If you're ma- marinating meat for flavor, then – What's up? Can I call her? Okay, one more second. If you're marinating feet for flavor, uh, that's one thing. But acids in marinades are actually there to break down proteins, things like buttermilk. And so – uh, that – you're not going to get that kind of tenderizing effect. But what I would suggest, if you want to just marinate for flavor, then you could do things like misos, like salts uh, that don't have so much of a tenderization effect. But just go get yourself uh, an immersion circulator so you can do low-temperature cooking. If you do low-temperature cooking on that stuff, you can get the textures that you like uh, or that you, you know, feel are enhanced by marinades without having to actually fundamentally alter the muscle structure uh, of the meats that you're cooking. Uh, all right. And then we'll get back to um, – we'll get back to some alternate. And stuff. And the other questions in a minute, but caller, you're on the air.
7: Hi, this is uh, Patrick calling from Brooklyn.
1: Hey, Patrick, how you doing?
7: Good, good. I have a question, a sort of a, another sort of food safety question. That um, I cooked about eight lobsters, uh, parsteen them in September, uh, froze everything. Have eaten everything, including the stock. But what I, I I took out the tamale from the eight lobsters mixed it, whipped it with butter, Mm -hmm. and then froze it. And it's it's a pretty amazing food stuff. It sort of tastes like monkfish liver or uh, sea urchin, you know, together with the butter. It's been so good that I've been uh, waiting to use it for the right right occasion, and I'm starting to become paranoid that keeping something like a uh, par-cooked lobster liver mixed with butter in the freezer may not be safe over the long term.
1: Well, it's in the freezer. It's safe. The question is, what's the quality going to be like? And so, when you have uh, water in contact, remember butter already. Butter keeps well in the freezer, but butter's water content is somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty. But it, it, they're kind of like kind of locked in um, in my cells there. So, but when you have a, a you know a, a fat and a um, and a product there, especially one that contains its own enzymes and whatnot, assuming you haven't wiped them all out. Is that uh, you could get rancidity, so rancidity is not going to hurt anybody, but it might be a quality issue and a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of like how rancid it 's going to go depends on um, depends on and that 's why a lot of times things like frozen cured pork becomes an issue because there 's salt in it already right but, and and you 're freezing it and you expect it to stay good, but in fact the quality goes down right because unless you 're freezing at extremely low temperatures. What ends up happening is is that all of the water-soluble stuff becomes concentrated in a, in a very concentrated water phase in the unfrozen part of your food and enzymatic reactions and rancidity and all those kinds of things still going on. None of these are safety issues, okay? Mm-hmm. Just, just, so, just flavor. Yeah, just flavor. So what I would do is I would, I would like uh, – I would unwrap a, – a, a, you know, before you have the big party where you're going to bust out the awesomeness, right? Do you, you have a – how do you pack this stuff? In zips and vac? What do you have?
7: I have it in a crop. That's in. Then it's in a uh, a Ziploc that I basically took all the, water, the the air out of with the uh, with your with the, with the dunking method. So okay. it's basically. Air, There's very little contact with
1: air. Oh, that's very good, right? So you have a very good chance that it's still good, right, because air is your mortal enemy with these sorts of things for a variety of reasons. You want contact to the bag to prevent freezer burn, not that it's as huge an issue with you because you're going to probably break it all down anyway. But what I would do is I would crack the – I would take out the zippy. I would, I would just crack a piece off of the edge of it. And the worst of it's gonna be uh, uh, where the air interface is on the Zippy anyway. So, like, the rest of the quality is gonna be higher than that. If you chip off a little piece of it, and taste it, you know, you know, in the like the the week before you're going to use it, you know, and, and then keep the other stuff frozen solid. Then you should get a good uh, indicator of the quality. You don't want to bring it up and down a bunch of times because that's going to ruin the quality. The more you freeze thaw, freeze thaw, freeze thaw, but that sh- you know, as long as you just pull it out, crack off a little piece with like a, you know a knife, you know, just don't cut yourself, and uh, uh, you should be able to get a firm indicator of quality. But from a safety point, I would not worry.
7: Okay, great. Well, this—I mean—this is a pretty awesome ingredient. So I'm just—I've been—I've been waiting, waiting for the right chance to use. It. And how long has like it know.
1: been since summer? So it's been like five months, six months.
7: It's been—I over Labor Day I took uh, uh, eight lobsters on the plane. I actually used your the uh, the uh, clove oil method too.
1: Uh, oh yeah, knock them nice. Out. And ha- it worked well for you. Yeah, it worked, it worked pretty
7: well. I think the concentration was. It would. I, I want to try it again. You know, because it was it was it was a preliminary method, but it definitely seemed to um. Affect a lobster's flavor in, in a positive way, and I, I sort of I have this grand vision of going back up the Maine, returning with more, trying again, and and crazy. I maybe a, a possible idea of making fish sauce with with, with lobster mm-hmm. lobster uh, carcasses. Well, the, so I haven't seen that done before.
1: The, the interesting thing about um, I you know I have a new t- I have a new technique for lobster that I use. Um, you know, the lobster the reason lobster tastes good in Maine is because Well, if you talk to a Maine person, it's because they have hard bottom whereas like Cape lobsters, like there's a mud bottom and so like the lobster lobster folks from Maine are like, I would never eat one of those mud bugs from the Cape. And then you're like, oh, come on, man. Honestly, they do have some good-tasting lobsters in Maine but lobsters start deteriorating the minute they're pulled out, right? So and, and like so, when they're sitting in tanks for a long time, they deteriorate. That's why, like you know, if you if you get the guy from the lobster boat, you're lo- that's why the lobster. Plus, also obviously, depending on the time of year, whether you like a shedder or what, depending on you know, how long ago the lobster molted, that can also ob- it's an obvious effector of quality. But they, you know, you want the lobster to be as fresh as possible. This was why they probably tasted good. You flew them back and cooked them right away. But uh, that wasn't a total aside, you know, because I I go on tangents. But the the, I have a new lobster technique uh, from maybe like a year ago or something that I do. Uh, If you don't want to do clove oil, you could try try this one out. Um, What I do is I uh, I spike the I put the lobster in a in a uh, baking tray right uh glass baking i don't have to use glass but i use it because it's non-reactive a glass baking tray with like a little like wood block under its carapace and then i mm-hmm. uh i cut through the uh carapace like destroying all of the uh, you know most of the uh, ganglia that are uh, around there you basically just bisect the head right so now mm-hmm. you've wiped out the head and then uh i <clears throat> i uh break it apart and then i take the shells and I make the shells into a uh, lobster stock, and then I add the meat from the lobster back to the lobster stock, and then uh, poach it off that way, so you don't lose any uh, of the flavor. And I've been getting good results with it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a different thing well, to try sometime if you want. But uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be I'll
7: be sure to try it, and I'll, I'll let you know how the uh, the lobster tamale butter tastes.
1: Yeah. So yes, yeah, send that send, send us a link to the uh, Twitter account so uh, at Cooking Issues, so uh, so you know how it tastes. Okay,
5: great. Thanks so much,
1: Dave. All right, cool. Thank you, caller. You're on the air. Hello. Hello.
5: Hi, it's Brian. How are you guys? Hey, doing all right? How are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, doing okay in the snow.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Um,
5: I got all this conversation about botulism has made me paranoid about this um, pressed eggplant. Pickle um, that I that I made um, uh, a couple of months ago when the weather was was nice and we had lots of eggplant. Yeah. Um, so what I did is I, I pressed, I, I sliced the eggplant thin, and then I salted it, and then um, basically I, I, I drained it, and then I added a, a bunch of vinegar to it. I mean, this is a traditional sort of Italian recipe, and then you take them, um, and then you put some um, uh, some olive oil and some garlic and some pepper over it, and then you uh, and then you, you cover it. Um, and I've also seen it done with mushrooms as well. Yeah. Uh, so basically there's not much, there's not really any water uh, or very little water in there. Should I be worried about botulism? I mean, I put them in cans, but I haven't done a, a heat pack. I didn't do a heat pack process because it was a cold process.
1: Right. Right. Uh, well I mean I have a jar of those eggplants in my uh, fridge right now they're delicious you know I mean I have a, com- a commercial variety but uh, they're Italian they're delicious but um, they're acidic you know uh so like I mean the main the main thing there is you know your 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 two main saviors there are they're salty and they're acidic uh, and so that's what's making them safe i mean the 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 real problem is like uh in mushrooms, where people don't add acidity and they do it, you know, low acid or they don't add enough acid or enough acid and salt, uh, and then they get rid of um, competitive uh, bacteria. Did you do a cook step at all?
5: Did I, did I do a what
1: step? Did you cook it at all or no?
5: There was no cooking.
1: Right. So again, like you know, as I said before, that's probably actually helping you because if there was, if you didn't add enough salt to prevent any sort of uh, growth or enough acid to really prevent uh, growth. Then probably you would get lactic acid bacteria growing in there and it would function more like a traditional – pickle. remember when you're pickling vegetables in water, they're essentially in anaerobic uh, – like sauerkraut and kimchi are essentially anaerobic uh, activities and things like botulism are being um, prevented by uh, combinations of, com- of uh, competition from lactic acid bacteria because they haven't been destroyed and uh, – and uh, through salt and through uh, the acidity, either added acidity in your case from vinegar or the acidity that's produced by lactic acid bacteria. Uh, and you know, I don't want to really go on the record saying what's safe and what's not because uh, you know, like uh, I can't. But the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of your problems are going to happen if you destroy the competitive bacteria through heat processing because the heat processing typically that you're going to do, unless you're doing retort canning, is not enough to kill the spores of things like botulism. You know what I'm saying?
5: I hear that, but even even with this one, um, it, it, because it's covered with olive oil, does that make it more prone to um, uh, to you know nasty bacteria?
1: Well, the olive oil covering it, it like instantly now you're in an anaerobic uh, you're in, in an inner an anaerobic uh environment without right but but the question is what's going to grow in that anaerobic environment so you you know there are nasty things that grow in an anaerobic a- environment perfringens uh you know botulism you know some spore forming nasties like that uh, there's microaerobic things that can grow in those environments, like *Listeria*, and so then the question is, but there's also good things that grow in that environment, like lactic acid bacteria, which is all you know, all the great lactic sure. pickles in the world are based on. So sure. then the, the question is, how do you favor the growth of lactic acid bacteria and disfavor the growth of the other nasty ones? And salt, right? Uh, acidity and not killing the – because unfortunately, it's fairly easy to kill the good ones because they don't form – they're not spore-forming. Lactic acid bacteria, you wipe them out and they're wiped out. So if you're not wiping them out to begin with, they 're still there, and so and, and even just like having even if you cook something, if you expose it to oxygen and then put it you know, to the air and put it back in, there's more lactic acid bacteria hitting it because again they 're ubiquitous, but it's it's this kind of pasteurization in place in oil phase with low acid and low salt. They're really favoring nasty things like botulism, um, perfringens, all these other things so uh, you know I don 't want to say one hundred percent because I don't know how much salt and how much vinegar there, but right. if, it, if it tastes acidic and salty you know and you've gotten rid of some of the water through pressing and you know uh, you know it seems like fairly i mean especially if you're following a traditional procedure it seems like you're probably pretty safe a lot of times the safety issues happen when you take a traditional preservation method let's say confit and you you know uh, i'm making quote marks in the air modernize it right and uh, so typically what modernizing it means is like on a confit is cooking it less, meaning you have a higher water activity because you're not cooking a lot of the water out or B, reducing the salt or reducing the cure time on it and so like, uh, or, or taking the herbs away because the herbs also have some bacteriostatic effects that are in comfi. So by removing all these hurdles, you can take what is traditionally a safe product and make it an unsafe product. So, but if you're following a traditional method, you're not trying to go hyper low salt and you're not trying to do a bunch of other things like that. Um, you know, there there are there are safety uh, there are safety methods built into centuries-old techniques because when they did it other ways, they would die
5: yeah this is a, this is an old school me- method, and um, but if if the can had some um, some gas coming out, does the botulism release gas? So oh hell, yeah, not always yeah. that's the
1: thing like so some 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 forms of botulism are going to release gas, so that's why you're always told not to open uh, not to eat cans that produce gas uh, some but that, but gas is not a guarantee. Of uh, no botulism. I mean, mean, sorry, lack of gas is not a guarantee of no botulism because there are botulism uh, strains that will uh, not make Uh, gas. Uh, But if there's gas, also lactic acid bacteria can make gas. So, uh, you know, it's um, like surstroming, the the crazy Swedish fish that, like, you know, you're not allowed to bring on airplanes, although I did. Like, you know, that stuff, the cans are bulging, and when you put the can opener into it, the can, like, explodes with, with some foul smelling gunk. So there's other things that make gas other than botulism. But, uh, you know, that's why, but, you know, if, if, if a can bloats and you don't know why, you pitch it. Because cans are supposed to be sterilized. So if you're going to can something commercially sterilized, so if you can something, you're expecting a no bloat situation. You know what I'm saying?
5: Right, right. Okay, uh, So like a pickle, question. like when
1: you pack a pickle, right? Let's say you make a pickle right. and you pack a pickle, even like a lactic pickle, and then you're going to can it after it's done, right? So there what you're doing is you're killing the lactic acid bacteria, so there should be no more bloat. And then even if you, if, you, if you get bloat on that, the assumption is it's something nasty that you didn't kill, like botulism, and it's no good. you see what I'm saying? See the difference? Right. I yeah. got it. Yeah. Um,
5: and another pickle-related question. So it, I've I've read that you can use way to kickstart uh, a, a, a pickle, um, and kind of keep it keep it going going that way. Uh, but that seems to me kind of counterintuitive because that is it sounds like a different process, which would create an environment that wouldn't be friendly for lactic acid bacteria.
1: Well, uh, I mean, like remember, like cheese is grown. I mean, cheese, like cheese, is fundamentally like a lot of the ripening in cheese is uh, our lactic acid bacteria and, uh, and other things. Uh, I mean, it depends on, on what kind of cheese you're making, but no, they, the whey is a good substrate to grow uh, bacteria. Yeah.
5: Oh, okay. So I can use my uh, from my yogurt, the whey from my yogurt, as a as a kind of kickstarter for my pickle. And it'll be oh, hell up. yeah! It's
1: full, it's full of lactic acid bacteria already. You know what I mean, especially oh, if, okay. if it's way from yogurt, you know, and you haven't uh, heated uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got I mean, it. it's already pre-cultured. It might not know whether or not the particular strains that you have are necessarily the ones you want in, in pickles, but yeah, you've already got a you already got a raging lactic acid colony there. So I mean, already you've kickstarted it, and you have you have the inhibition of uh, ne- negative uh, bacteria like uh, like um, uh, botulism or or or
5: would it be possible to pickle uh, with using whey uh, as a as a as a starter, and so you don't have to add salt, or I don't have to add as much salt?
1: I don't know. I don't want to. I'm not gonna. I don't. I can't, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go. I don't want to cosign on uh, on that. Although there's a lot of people that do very low salt fermentations, but you know, I've never done a lot of uh, research on on their actual like absolute safety.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Thanks for all the help. Um, I think I'll be eating the eggplant pit bull. i right, yeah. you know if I'm still
1: around. Yeah, if, you, if your vision goes double, go to the hospital. That's blurred vision is one of the problems with botulism. I'm just, not, I'm just kidding, but, but I'm not. I'm kidding, <laughs> but I'm not. All right. Have a good Thanks. one. All right. So uh, let me rip through the rest of M's questions because I've got a couple of other questions I've got to go to and they're going to pull me off the air pretty soon, I think. Okay. So uh, on the meat, uh, look, do you not like soy? Soy, I, I just – you. Know, I, who, who sent us the, uh, the tofu book, Andrea Nguyen's tofu book? I just finished reading it and now i um, Estaz is now she's she's, she's going to make the face because I'm going to go on a tofu kick in the new year because it's been many years since I've made tofu regularly and I realized how much I love fresh tofu and m if you like to cook fresh tofu making your own tofu I've never found a tofu supplier here in the they they're, they're here but I've never looked them up that that I really really love I love tofu that you make like that you make it's awesome like go ahead and make that and you can put a whole bunch of things other than soy, which you hate, on t- tofu. And fresh tofu is amazing, and it's also not high in acids, and it doesn't cause the bloat out that you you know that you're, you would get from the other things. It's fun to make. Then you can uh, go, you can m- morph from that make you know what I'm, i used to make i've only made it a couple times years ago but i loved it, it was yuba you, you ever made fresh yuba anyone here yuba fresh yuba is, you know which is the tofu skins is not the same thing as the dried stuff it's just not the same stuff the stuff that's never been that you just make fresh and you eat fresh is just phenomenal product so i would go that or you know try something like uh tempeh or so, something like that uh or if you want like hard protein like i'm not a, such of a seitan guy but you guys like seitan No. Yeah. Not such of a Satan fellow, but you, you you could try it out. But give give those uh, give those a shot, and also I wouldn't worry about the uh, amount of garlic unless it's actually bothering you or the uh, the acidity of those uh, of those pilaf products. I'm probably just adding a small amount for flavor, and. Uh, you know, I wouldn't worry so much uh, uh, about that. And if I have some time, we'll go back and we'll talk about some more spices. Mike, you guys got any good spices? I like the ones that you were mentioning. I like turmeric. I like cumin a lot. I use a lot of cumin. I put like boatloads of cumin in my like in my guacamole. Although apparently I'm told I'm not. In fact, Stas and Piper made a chili and it didn't have cumin in it. I'm like, well, then it ain't chili. It's not chili. It's some sort of Vermont meat stew. But you liked it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to hear about the chili. All right, let me let me, let me catch some other questions real quick before they uh, before they rip me off here. Uh, let's start with. Uh, Sam, Sam writes in. Hey Dave, what are your thoughts on storing chicken eggs at room temperature? Does the type—grocery store eggs, farmers market eggs—blah uh, blah blah—just blah, falling out of the chicken? Oh, falling out of the chicken. I don't like that. I thought you like that. Thought that? Mm-hmm. Bloop. Uh, Stas hates that. That image is going to be in her head now. And our previous storage conditions matter. I have no problem storing eggs in the fridge. I just think they look badass in a tray on the counter. Sam. Okay, listen. Sam, the issue with storing eggs at room temperature is not one of safety uh, it 's one of quality uh, and it depends on how long you 're going to store them if you 're only going to have them for a, a couple of days then it 's not going to make that big of a difference you 're going to want to look up the haw unit the haw unit is a measurement of how high the egg yolk sits up on the egg white and it 's a determinant of the quality of thick white versus thin white and what happens at higher temperatures like uh, storage temperatures out on the on the counter is that the thick white breaks down and you also have a lot more transpiration uh, at the higher temperatures and loss of moisture through the, uh, through the egg. So you're going to get more weight loss at room temperature through the pores in the eggshell and you're also going to get more degradation of the thick white into thin white when it's sitting at uh, room temperature. So if you're going to use them right away, no, it doesn't matter. If you're not going to use them right away, then please uh, keep them in the fridge because you're just going to be losing more and more of your uh, thick uh, white. That make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they uh, I read an article called comparing, uh, Comparative Proteomic Analysis of Egg White Proteins Under Various Storage Temperatures and what they think uh, it's going on is that you're getting uh, an ac- acceleration of the breakdown of uh, Ovalbumin at higher temperatures possibly due to um, enzymatic reactions okay uh, got a question on uh, someone who just got their Nomiku but I don't have the name of who asked it which is unfortunate uh, Dear Dave, Nastasha, and crew I've recently reviewed, uh, received my brand new Nomiku Circulator which is made by WePop WePop, SoupyPop uh, bam, uh, and I'm extremely happy with a few things I've cooked in it 63 degree egg 55 uh, degree strip steak and 60 degree sausages those are all good although cook cooked the rib I like the rib much better than the strip but that's just me for Christmas this is very important we have to get to this question for Christmas I've ordered a 2 rib aged prime rib for my small family and of course I'm planning to circulate it I've heard Dave talk about this dish a few times but I could not piece together all the advice from different shows so I'd be very grateful if he could give a best practices for low temperature prime rib I'm planning to do 55 for for about four hours with the meat sliced into two steaks i think this is enough to pasteurize it for my pregnant wife and two-year-old son uh you're correct it is uh but advice on other time temperature combos is welcome the uh, issues i'd most like advice on uh, are bone on or bone off and best uses for those bones if they're not circulated with the meat seasoning before circulating or just after and whether to add any fats aromatics in the bag whether to chill before searing or just hold the cooking temperature or drop it a bit lower and best best methods for searing. My first low-temperature steak was pre- and post-seared in a skillet, uh, but I had some trouble with the excess surface moisture in the post-sear. Besides uh, skillet searing, the other options would be a domestic broiler or a cheap propane torch. I've kicked for the sears all, but it can't come soon enough. Duh! Uh Are there any other pitfalls, tricks uh, you care to mention? Uh, thanks a lot for the great information for the entertainment. By the way, your previous advice to limit the oxidation of vermouth by decanting into smaller bottles worked very well. I'm glad to hear it. And it gave me the excuse to keep a supply of 200-milliliter Cava bottles at home for when the fancy strikes. Uh, best and then uh, – we don't have your name, which sucks. Uh, but you sent it into us. So here's the deal. So on a dry-aged prime rib – uh, smell the bone. Usually, when you're dry aging a piece of meat, a lot of the kind of dry age smell uh, is on the on the like silver skin and, and, and like stuff right around that bone. If you cook in a bag with the bone, sometimes that flavor can permeate all of the meat, and some people like that, and some people hate that. So if you are a huge flavor a uh, 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 fan rather of the look, of the dry age funk that comes from a long aged thing, just smell that bone and realize that that smell is going to be throughout the piece of meat if you cook that way. If you don't want it that hardcore and if your wife is pregnant, let me just tell you, having gone through uh, cooking for a pregnant wife twice, same wife, two different pregnancies, uh, uh, certain smells l- like that can really be triggers uh, uh, for uh, people who are pregnant. And so you might not want to have – of making them not want to eat it. You know what I'm saying? So – Uh, If I were you and, uh, and I was cooking for my wife when she was pregnant, I would cut the bone off before I cooked it. Now, what to do with that bone? Chop that bone up, roast it off, uh, make any sort of gravy, render the fat out of it, do whatever you can and make a Yorkshire pudding to go with your prime rib that can be done at the same time that thing's done because Yorkshire pudding is one of God's gifts of food you just want to render out enough flavor and cracklings and fat so that when you whip up the Yorkshire pudding make sure and pour it into the hot uh, you know into the into the roasting pan that you get that awesome beef flavor and typically that's what I 'll do when I make a prime rib I 'll trim it all out for I, I leave fat on because I like fat, but I 'll trim off uh, you know. Some some of the fat and the bones, and I'll roast them off, and I can have a Yorkshire pudding ready as soon as the steak is ready, instead of waiting for 20 minutes while the rib is resting during normal cook to make your Yorkshire pudding. So I got you covered on that bone. That's definitely what you should do. Now, what you really need to also be careful of is that you don't want to low temp cook the rib entire and then serve it that way because with prime rib you want a little bit of the overcooked parts around the edges, right? So if you're going to serve it as a standing rib, which you're not, then what I what I do is I would cook the cook it uh, low temp and then roast it in a high oven after – you let the temperature come all, you know, way down and then you roast it in a, in a, in a hot oven to get that kind of prime rib feel. If you're going to steak it, then I would sear it. I would steak it before you cook it, right? This way uh, you're going to have some searing around the edges. It's not just one big field of same-colored meat. I would steak it before you sear it, uh, before you uh, circulate it. Then I would do your pre-sear just like you did, bag it. I would cook it at that 55 for like you say, like four hours is good. It'll be nice and tender. Then I would drop it to 50 for about a half hour. Uh, you know, I would ice cube drop it. Just throw, set your circuit 50. Throw ice cubes in. The temperature will drop down to 50. Hold it there for a half hour. You're not limiting the safety because you're going to eat it right away. Then I would sear it in a, in a super hot. I would get like cast iron uh, thing screaming hot. Don't use a torch on it. Cast iron pan screaming hot. Uh, open your windows, turn on the hoods. It's going to make a, a, an immense amount of smoke. It's going to be a nightmare. Then uh, after they're screaming hot, put you know enough oil to make sure that you hit all the sides of the uh, steaks. I would do two pots at, uh, two pans at once and then do like a minute and a half, two minutes on each side to sear it off and serve it with the Yorkshire pudding, and I think you're going to be happy with that. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. All right. Good luck with that. Let us know how it goes. Uh, now, if we, do we have time?
4: we're uh, five, we- six past.
1: Do we have, we have time for one more quick one or no? No,
4: we need to do some promo stuff.
1: But so I got, I got, okay, well, why don't we, well David Gabois wrote in about foie gras and cooking an Arzac egg. All right.
4: Our, our callers should only ask one question. That's the problem.
1: What? Wow, we're here, we're here. All right, well, why don't you do the promo stuff? And if they rip us off the air, they rip us off the air and then I'll talk about oh, at the right, end will Rebecca do it alright oh. Rebecca yeah. go ahead you guys should do it well, what are mean. we talking about oh
3: the reddit tonight you guys are Dave's doing uh, reddit AMA
1: I'm doing an ask me anything right that's what it's Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand how it works but apparently I'm going to be uh, at a computer terminal between 6 and 8pm tonight 6.30 6.30 8. and 8pm 8 tonight uh, answering any questions and they showed me an example and some uh, – a, a nuclear scientist was uh, like there, like some sort of like you know anti – or I guess he's anti-nuclear proliferation, something like that. And, uh, and someone asked him how to cook lamb low temp. I'm like, holy crap. I hope <laughs> – first of all, he was totally wrong by the way. Do not put garlic powder on your low temp lamb. I, I, this has been circulating that you should put garlic powder in the bag for a variety of reasons. Don't. Don't do it. But because uh, it, it tastes kind of burnt, and, and I don't like it. But, but 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 then I was like, I hope no one asks me questions about nuclear prol- proliferation because that's mm-hmm. not my specialty. And it says, ask me anything. But Rebecca said, don't worry, it's not answer anything. It's ask me anything. I can be like, yo, I don't know anything about. It. I don't know squat about that. I don't know anything about. It. I mean, I do know something about that. It's
3: true. That. It's true. If you don't know the answer to it, you can say you don't know the answer. To I, it. Think, I think you know that's, that's, that's
1: okay the smartest okay thing you could ever say. Like exactly. my favorite yeah. thing to say, I, 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 if I don't know the answer, I don't know. So what other promotional stuff do we we got to do?
3: I think that's that's it.
1: Pretty much. All right. Okay. So, like, until they—they're going to turn me off the air when I do it. But I'm going to read David's question on uh, foi. First of all, uh, and and gig. I'm gonna do the RZAC gig first. First of all, I'm a Sears All Kickstarter uh, Kickstarter supporter, so I'll be looking forward to having my very own Sears All in June. Also, the wife and I uh, had a great time at Booker and Dax in June. Uh, we chatted with you very briefly about the centrifuge I had just bought off of eBay. Uh, finished our libations and headed off to WD50 for dinner. Good choices, Booker and Dax, WD50. Like both of those places, uh, we really need to make it back to NYC soon and see what new stuff you guys are cooking up there. Uh, we've got a big dinner coming up and we, and we want to wow the three couples uh, my wife and I are inviting. I have two separate questions related to this, but if you only have time for one, then the first one is more important. I'm serving seared foie gras, but I don't have a searzol yet. I'm side for you because a all is the best way to do this. So how should I cook and sear it? I'm getting a dozen 2.5-ounce prepackaged slices of foie and don't want to render too much fat out from each slice. Also, these guys are sensitive, so I can't serve it rare. It really needs to be pasteurized. With this in mind, I was going to cook the slices sous vide at 131 for 20 to 30 minutes and then sear one side only. Uh, I know that each step I would lose precious foie fat. Well, bagging the foie slices with some fat, either clarified butter or pre-rendering the foie safe from previous applications, reduce the amount of fat each slice loses in the water bath. For searing, how about pan searing with generous amount of fat already in the pan, maybe a full-on shallow fry or even deep fry. Since my oven broiler really sucks and my toast torch mostly sucks, the only other option is to throw them onto a gridiron and get my charcoal Weber blazing hot. I'm not afraid to do this even in the winter, but it will not be fun. All right. Here's some answers on this. Uh, I'd be very careful. Uh, you, the extra fat is not gonna gonna help you. And if you're rendering 20, 30 minutes at 131 F is not actually enough to pasteurize it. So the question when I say sensitive is, are they sensitive to the fact that it hasn't been cooked, or are they sensitive in the sense that they might have an immune a compromised immune system? Right. Uh, if it's just that they're sensitive about whether or not it's cooked or not. If you're doing a torchon traditionally, you just do a rapid uh, like like 90 second dip in like simmering water, and I think you're probably going to get less fat loss that way than trying to pasteurize it uh, at like a higher temp for a longer period of time. I think you're going to get a better texture. Then you can cool it down again in the bag, and then um, and then from there I would do I would just do like a screaming hot on a dry pan you're going to do much better uh because you're going to get a faster crust you're going to get less bleed out from the edges remember if you put it in deep fat you're heating the edges too so you're going to get more bleed out all over all over everything i would put it in a dry pan i've always been taught to put it in a dry pan i would get it hot and put it in uh, a dry pan if the hottest thing you own is your weber you could put your pan on the weber and, and get it to go but didn't do a quick sear off like that just be careful with it also uh, since you got a dozen 2.5 uh, prepackaged slices, what I would do, and I did this when I was testing out, I, I had to do the first time I cooked it with the Sears All. Even I did this a test. I got like an extra slice, and I just tested that sucker first. So I would take your prepacked slices, which they come in vac bags, although they're probably not cooked vac bags, and then I would just do like uh, like a, a 30 or 30 or 40 second dunk. In, uh, in simmering water, put it directly in ice water after that to stop the cookout on it. Then after it's cold, I would cut it open. I would hit the one side and then put it on a serving tray in like a, in like a warm place so that the center of it can warm up to temperature. I would try it with one. And then if you can get it done with one, then you're going to get it to work with all of them. Uh, but let me know how it works out. OK, two. And then this is the last one I can do. Because, but since it's for a Christmas holiday – since it's for a holiday dinner, stars, I have to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm doing my own version of an Arzac egg. So uh, Arzac, you know, their uh, famous uh, father-daughter uh, chef team, the Arzacs in Spain – uh, and they do this egg where what they do is is they uh, they put uh, uh, they put uh, plastic wrap into a ramekin and then they put like nice flavored fats like duck fat. It was actually in one of the early Lucky Peaches in the ramen thing, uh, and uh, in the ramen episode of the they call them episodes issues of the uh, of uh, Lucky Peach. Uh, and uh, they use I think duck fat, olive oil, and I think truffle oil in it. And they, but they, so they paint the plastic wrap with this and add a little oil. They crack the egg in, but they also can put in salt, pepper, and Spices, which is why it's, I guess, an interesting technique as opposed to, let's say, just cooking low temp in shell, which is what I normally do, or poaching in shell. Uh, And then you tie string around the plastic wrap uh, to encase the egg, and then you can poach the egg at traditional temperatures in water, but it's never touched the water, uh, and it's already pre kind of oiled and spiced. So it's an interesting technique, uh, uh, Arzac egg. Anyway. Uh, So just so you people, if you want to know what an Arzac egg is, that was the explanation. So here's the question. As far as I can tell, no one else has tried uh, what I'm about to tell you, uh, and this might be my very first culinary invention, I think. Instead of using cling film uh, for the Arzac egg, uh, you put the egg into a spherical ice mold. You can see these uh, on uh, Amazon.com. Close up the mold and then inject additional egg white through the hatch on the top with a syringe until the mold is completely filled. Uh, then, uh, sous vide at 190 F and then with a the question mark, I've tried doing this for different time intervals and can't seem to get the egg whites to set properly. So the egg hold its shape and doesn't fall apart. And the yolk is somewhat runny. Do you have any thoughts on strategies I can pursue to make this work? Thanks for any advice you can give, uh, David Gabwap. Okay. Here's what I would do. One, uh, make sure you're oiling the inside of your stuff so you get good release. Uh, injecting it might be breaking up the structure of the egg white. Like remember in the original Arzac egg, they're not breaking up the structure of the egg white. They're leaving it entire, which is why it kind of poaches together that way. Uh, so uh, you know, I would try to see whether you can get away with not doing that. Add a fat to it instead of adding extra egg white and do it in a way that doesn't disrupt the egg white. Uh, The other thing I'd be careful of is that I looked up the, the website that you sent me and they say that it's top rack dishwasher safe, meaning maybe not bottom rack. Find out what kind of plastic that sucker is. Uh, because something like polyethylene is not going to be able to hold up that well. It's totally food safe, but it's not going to be able to hold up that well at simmering temperatures. If it's polypropylene, you're probably going to be okay. Uh, So just make sure that the temperature is going to be all right, and then I wouldn't even try – I wouldn't even use a circ on that. I would just simmer it the way the Arzac egg guys do because you're going to want a very fast, rapid set of the egg white proteins in order to get a nice uh, surface and to get it to uh, release properly from the mold. And with that, they're going to kick me off the air. Happy Holidays! Is cooking issues.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.